How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yay! Wow, thunderous applause again. It's great. Yes, 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 yes. How are you? I've been doing pretty well. Pretty well. Um, It's you know, holiday season is here. Lots to be grateful for. Hopefully see a bunch of the kids and work is busier than ever. How about you, Mark? What's been going on with you? Been good. Yeah, it's been real good. You know, we uh, we had some nice holidays and seasons and people and hugs and love and gratitude. It's been uh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to uh, a, a prosperous and happier new year. Ah, and prosperity has an enormous implication. And there's also a perspective. You know, why don't we just let the audience know a little bit, not before we before we get to our guests, what we're trying to talk about now in terms of perspective. Perspective. It's all yeah. about perspective, isn't it? It really is. It is about perspective. And there there are many, many ways of viewing the same thing. I mean, that's part of yeah. what we have in our world right now is remarkable differences in perspective. And yet it's so interesting to be able to share them and to learn from each other's points of view. Right. If we listen and have conversation as opposed to block our ears and argue and say, we're right. You know, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it, it something really moved me, really affected uh, my thoughts. And they were talking about this very same thing conversations and the host challenged folks to enter a conversation thinking maybe i'm wrong go into the conversation thinking maybe i'm wrong right as opposed to going in i am absolutely right and you're going to listen and learn from me maybe I'm wrong. Let yeah. me hear this person out because boy, if I'm wrong, I'd like to learn from that. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's, there's a wealth of information to be had. And and speaking of wealth of information with that in <laughs> mind, could you introduce our guest for tonight, Mark? I would love to do that. Well, Dr. Joe, we have a returning guest, and Alyssa McNamara-Reed has agreed to start our limited series on perspective, perspective of money, perspective of finance, and we chose Alyssa McNamara-Reed to join us for this part of our limited series on perspective because she is a financial planner. She's a financial planner with a passion for the intersection of taxes and investing. She works with motivated savers, beneficiaries of estates, business owners, divorcees, as well as pre and post retired. She's a thought leader in the space of finance. She hosts a radio show that's heard all over the place because it becomes a podcast as well. It's called McNamara on Money. She's also a wife, a mother, and an amazing youth soccer coach. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Alyssa. 
Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I appreciate being here. It's good to be back. It is good to have you back, Alyssa. How have things been? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Everything is everything is great. I love this time of year. I love uh, the opportunity to be thankful for things and appreciate family and spend extra time with family and maybe take a little time off work, et cetera. So everything is good. Hmm. I think the last time we spoke, Alyssa, the stock market was at an all-time high and it was roaring and everybody was prospering and it was wildly successful and now it's not. Was it so it was it about a year ago that I was on the show? I, think, I can't remember. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um it's not currently. I have faith that it will get back there and people will see their portfolios recover and feel prosperous again. Um, but at the current time, I know it's hard to be an investor. It's hard to look at the value of your money when it's when you feel like you've had a loss. I would call it a downward fluctuation though. I'm always correcting people's words in times like these. But words yeah, really matter. Words matter. Yeah. Perspective, perspective matters. Yeah. It does so, because you haven't lost anything if you haven't sold anything, right? Right. Right. I say that quite frequently these days. Let's call, it a, down, let's call it a downward fluctuation. It's not a loss until you make it a permanent loss. Yeah. Right. So so how does that word fluctuation change someone's perspective? Um well, I think the the word loss is is a scarier word than than the phrase downward fluctuation. Um, a, a loss implies permanence, mm -hmm. um, and downward fluctuation is a reminder that the value of an investment um, varies over time, and and people need to be reminded sometimes that it doesn't just go straight up. It's it's never it. it it has never been that easy to be an investor. It's been easier, you know, the coming out of 2009 for about 10, 12 years after that, it was a little easier to be an investor, but all throughout history, there've always been times um, of downward fluctuation and, and markets like this are a good reminder for people that it's not always easy to be an investor and you have to have faith and patience and maybe not look so often because it'll, it's not good for your mentality, I think. Um, but yeah, I think words matter quite a bit right now in terms of how people feel about their money. Is it feel about their money or feel about less of their money? Um, <clears throat> I guess it's how they feel about their, their wealth or their, uh, success or their ability to reach their financial goals. Um, I think putting, giving them the perspective right now that bear markets, you know, downward fluctuations in the markets are normal. I think that that's helpful for people to remember. The markets have never just gone straight up. I mean, it's never been day after day of, of small gains over the course of a year. Um, it's, you know, we haven't, we don't have bear markets every year, but, you know, on average, I think it's like every Oh, I'm going to forget the statistics, but every four or five years, I think we have an actual bear market. Um, we just happen to have had a long period of time from about early 2009 until end of 2011, where there really wasn't, there was actually a bear market in there, but it was very short. Um, early in 2020, very short period of time. So there, there wasn't a lot 
in the last decade or so to remind people that markets just don't go straight up, but, but they don't. And I think that perspective is helpful for people, you know, people, it's so easy to watch the value of your money right now, you know, you know, on your phone or it's so easy to log in and just check balances, but it's, that's never been healthy behavior, but it's just, it's easier now than it was decades ago to check the value of your money every single day, but it's not, that's not healthy investor behavior because it causes undue panic. Well, Um, especially when you're, you're, you're invested for the long term, right? Right. Right. Why are you looking at it every day if you're invested for the long term? Right. And anyone that has really any significant exposure to the stock market, um, of course, bond markets were down this year quite a bit as well. But generally, it's the stock market that fluctuates downward significantly enough to make people panic. And anyone that has sizable exposure in their investments to to stock markets should should be invested for the long term because sometimes we go years without seeing growth in stock investments. Um, if you're if you're a short term investor, stock investments really aren't appropriate for you. It's that's you know unless you're sort of speculating or you know hoping to get lucky. But um, short term investors really stocks aren't appropriate for them. There are other instruments, you know, bond securities, CDs, you know, stuff that's appropriate for short term. And actually, you know that that's a um, that's pers- that's actually perspective that's helpful to give right there. When I say short term, it's even like three or four years or less is pretty short term in the world of investing. Um, so if someone comes to me and says, you know, I've got a hundred thousand, I might need it in a few years. I'm going to buy a house. You can't really, you know, it, a, a, a stock heavy investment portfolio really isn't appropriate for that person anyway, maybe some stock exposure there, but, um, but short term is actually like a few years in the world of investing. Um, and really when I, when we say long-term, that's, you know, eight, 10, 12 years. So, so I think some people don't even quite have that perspective or, or even if they think they have that perspective, this market is sort of a test of, are, are you really um, ready to be a long-term investor? And some people might say, yeah, I'm, you know, I can, I'll invest this money and I might not need it for, you know, I'll, yes, I'm in it for the long term. And we talk about, you know, six, eight, 10 years, you know, when are you going to need it? And, um, but sometimes people, I think people often expect to see growth in a short period of time and can get frustrated when they don't see it quickly mm-hmm. enough. And then panic when it goes down. Dr. Joe, yeah. panic, nervous, like yeah. primitive feelings. Like this is, yeah, can be a scary time for people if they're not well advised and prepared for this. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a reminder of um, what before, generally speaking, before I invest someone's money, I go through like an educational session where I'm giving them perspective on, you know, what's normal for um, behavior of an investment. What what have markets done throughout history, good times, bad times. Um, we go through some, you know, we examine history. It's, it doesn't, you know, predict the future, but we can learn a lot from, you know, what markets have done in the past. And I generally make it mandatory that I go through that with people before I invest their money, because I want them to go into an investment, um, you know, setting expectations. I need them to have 
uh, so sometimes I have to sort of tame expectations. Right. And I have, a, I can think of a situation recently where just for one reason or another, uh, a, a relatively new client that I have, we didn't get the opportunity yet to sit down and go through that. And the sort of our process was a little bit backwards where we invested the money kind of quickly and for a variety of reasons. And then we were, you know, sort of going to follow up with, um, with having that conversation. And then, you know, people get busy and months go by and, you know, and it doesn't happen. And this particular client is a relatively new investor, probably, probably about a year or so and is um, extremely uncomfortable panicking mm -hmm. unlike the rest of my clients who have been you know sort of trained and prepared and we had these conversations and it's not that my other clients aren't nervous but but I, I don't use the word I don't see a lot of panic or I don't hear right. a lot of panic in my clients because we have conversations in advance of markets like this but this one particular um, client and I and you know I'm kicking myself for you know it's just I, I changed up my process to try to accommodate things and you know <laughs> you know long story but um but it's unfortunate. This person is very uncomfortable and, and probably is going to want to make a change. And, and, and that's hard for me, you know, to swallow. It's hard. It's hard for me because I feel, you know, like partially responsible for that. Like, you know, I should have, I should have done better. We should have had this conversation. And I feel like, um, had they had the right perspective, they might be behaving differently right now. And again, right. it's not that they wouldn't be nervous, but maybe they wouldn't be so inclined to do something that I think is a mistake. Right. It's especially in bear markets. And for those who are unaware, a bear market is a market with, what did we call it, Alyssa? Downward fluctuation. A downward fluctuation of 20% or more from the high is technically a bear market. A bear market of 20% from the high. Downward fluctuation, not losses, folks downward fluctuation it's only a loss if you sell right right so we're waiting it out because this is what happens we have perspective because we've seen this history has proven to us that markets go up markets go down fluctuate downward and <laughs> fluctuate upward right if you don't take your winnings at the top you haven't uh you haven't earned those those uh, upward fluctuations right yeah and that's interesting you brought that up i can remember remember a lot of conversations through you know notably 2019 2020 and 2021 about the extraordinary growth in particularly the us stock market over those three calendar years and um you know it's you know, having a lot of conversations about, you know, this is an opportunity. Do you need any money? This is a great time to take money from yeah. your portfolio, you know, particularly older, but do you need anything? Let's, you know, can I please send some money from this portfolio? Mostly older, you know, older people that would have a use for it. Right. Um, and, you know, explaining that this is, you know, not sustainable. The U S market over those three calendar years was, I think in each of those years was more than double its long-term average return. Like we're talking, it was 25% or more, I think for each of those three calendar years and wow. very, very long-term average return of the U S market as defined by the S and P 500. Um, what is like 11% per year, depending on the, you know, the, the time frame you're examining. So there was some extraordinary growth, but in periods of time like that, where there's this great growth, people don't 
necessarily want to take stuff out of the out of their portfolio because they they want to leave it in they want it to just keep going they don't want to you know it's interesting some people just sort of in good markets especially when we have good markets for a long period of time a few years or more and and like i said largely we had great markets for about 12 years coming out of the great recession and um people just you know start to sort of take it for granted that that markets are just going to go up and be amazing. And it's so easy mm. to invest during those times. And this is a, unfortunately, it's a reminder that markets don't just go straight up. And sometimes it's harder to be an investor. Having said that, this is a great time to be an investor. If you have what I call cash on the sidelines, if you've got, you know, cash that you don't need in cash, if you have excess cash, cash beyond emergency reserves, cash beyond whatever you might need for short-term goals, this is a great time to put new money into the markets and be right. an investor in that regard. It's a difficult time to do that because there's the risk that you might put it in and it might immediately go you know, go down in value. And that's hard for people to understand why am I investing if it's just going to immediately go down in value. Um, but I could, you know, I could talk for 60 minutes on, on that one. <laughs> I don't know how far you want me to go. Stop me anytime. I could just, right. well, you're buying at a um, discount right now, right? At, yeah. at the end of the day. I mean, that's the whole concept behind the dollar cost averaging, right? Sometimes right. you're buying at a discount. Sometimes you're buying at a premium. Right. Right. What, 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 day you're investing. What is right. dollar cost? What is, what is that? Um, dollar cost averaging is, is this philosophy that if you invest regularly over like increments over time, like think of a, someone investing in their 401k and making payroll deductions and investing like every month. Um, if you do investing regularly over time, you're hitting the markets at all different points, right? Throughout, throughout the course of a year, you could have some high points and some low points and everything in between. And so regular investing, there's been all sorts of you know research indicating that your average share price is better, you know, by investing in regular increments over time instead of like, think about someone who puts twenty thousand dollars in their four hundred one k in January and then doesn't do it again until next January. Because if you make one large contribution to your investment, you don't know where the market is. And you could hit a very high share price with all of that money versus spreading that 20,000 over 12 months, for example, you're going to get all different share prices and the average generally is more attractive unless you happen to get lucky and you make that one time investment when the markets are low. But that's kind of like the conversation that we're having now is that markets are low. They have been low like second half of this year, particularly, um, you know, getting into the fall markets have been pretty low and attractive buying opportunities. So if you can recognize an opportunity like that, generally speaking, like with cash on the sidelines, doesn't hurt to take advantage of that. But when markets are just sort of like not as volatile as they are now, when markets are a little bit more normal, it's generally better to invest in increments uh, over time versus versus like ad hoc type investing. So is there a pattern to, to these fluctuations? No. No, no markets, are, markets, are, markets are unpredictable. I mean, they're fairly, markets are fairly like cyclical and that will have, you know, periods of good times and, and, and times when they get inflated and they become overpriced. And then we have a, you know, a correction that's called a, when markets first start to trend down, it's called a correction. 
And, and, you know, part of the reason for that is that, well, it was, it was probably inflated and priced too high to begin with. Um, and so that, and then it, it's corrected. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we have extremes where they get very, you know, inflated and, and priced very high and then, and very, un, you know, or what we, what we would call overvalued in terms of the price you pay for a share of stock, for example, compared to the earnings or the dividends, you know, there's, you know, statistics that are tracked, but sometimes when markets are really strong for a long time, they become what's called overvalued or inflated in terms of like, meaning people really kind of paying too much for it and it's not worth it. And then we have a correction and then the share price falls. And sometimes, unfortunately, it falls significantly that they become undervalued. So we have these extremes in the markets and, um, you know, markets are, which is unfortunate if markets just sort of like, if they were a little bit more stable, everybody would be happy. But the, uh, the markets are like, there's, they're like largely a culmination of, of, um, emotions, I think, because so many of the trading that happens in the markets is, I think like the last statistic I read is that, like 50% of the trading that's placed on the markets is is placed by people and people have emotions. The other 50% is computer programs. They call them bots and they're like watching trends and things like that. That's the last statistic I saw. Um, and if you think about like, you know, people have emotions and they're reacting to a health pandemic or a political situation or, an, you know, a, a, they're something on the news, right? A geopolitical situation or, um and, and can be trading to the extremes as a result of that. And so emotions largely and speculation, what's going to happen really drives markets. And, and that's why we have such extremes, um, you know, and there's been some, um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but the volatility, you know, volatility is like a measure of the highs and lows, right? The, or the extreme changes we see in share prices in the markets. I think, you know, volatility is more common like this century than it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago because people have access to information immediately, right? If you think about like an investor 50 years ago couldn't see the value of their money every single minute of every single trading day. And um, and so the, there wasn't the same emotional reaction and it was harder to place a trade, right? Like to call your broker, you know, and it's, it's not as easy as just, I'm gonna log online in 30 seconds, I can trade my whole portfolio. Um, and so that, you know, emotions have really led to markets. I, I think a, a large part of the reason that we have such extreme volatility lately is because access to information and and, and emotions because a lot of the trading is placed by people and people have emotions and they always will. And they'll, they always will have emotions about their money. It will always be an emotional uh, topic. I, I, I agree with you. And I know it's going to seem like a really silly question and maybe so obvious, but why do you think that is? Why do we have these reactions like this? <laughs> emotions about money, you mean? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, money does provide livelihood, you know, like, like it or not, it, it's providing, you know, it, it provides life. I mean, without money, there's, 
you know, li livelihood is very different for someone that makes $25,000 a year versus someone that makes $300,000 a year. I mean, their, their, their lifestyle is very different. It, so it yeah. literally provides mm -hmm. life and provides for family and provides housing. I mean, it's, I, I just, I think that it's, you know, I guess unfortunate, but it is the way it is. It, it, it's just tied to your livelihood. And yeah. then there's all this, you know, stress surrounding, you know, if you think about like a lot of the people I work with and I'm helping them figure out when they can afford to retire. Um, there's a lot of worry that they won't have enough that they, you know, will I be able to provide, will I be able to take care of myself and, and provide livelihood for myself or for my family for the rest of my life? And it's, it's hard to plan for because you don't know how long someone's going to live. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress and, you know, people also, you know, parents will always want to be providing for their kids, even their adult kids. And they want to, you know, not only do they want to provide for themselves, they, they don't want to be a burden on their kids. You know, if they run out of money, then they're a burden on their kids or, you know, some people want to leave a certain amount of money to their kids and they want to, you know, uh, a lot of people feel strongly about that and, and they worry that, well, what if, what if I'm not able to, will my kids be okay after I'm gone? Mm. There's a lot of family, you know, and emotional issues surrounding mm -hmm. that, but I think it's just, it provides life and, and without it, life is difficult, impossible. I mean, I, you know, it's that safety, right? Yeah. There is that safety and that security. hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. yeah. And I suppose again that that predictability that we spoke about, but it is it is that that security, that sense of security, which does keep our fight, flight, freeze response at bay. And Alyssa, you volunteered your time to help teach some of our youth about money. Can you help us understand? what you're doing with them and 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 then we could talk a little bit about their thoughts and all that fun stuff about money and their perspective on money which yes. is very different from our own yes uh, but hence the initiative to give them perspective on money um sure i've done i've worked with marshfield high school since 2014 now wow. um to hold a financial education fair it's a one day event we call it the smart with money fair but uh, uh, it's similar to many people have heard the term like credit for life fair. Those are sort of common. Um, and the, I, I started that, uh, years ago because in my career, I generally meet people later in life. It's not super common that I'll meet someone, uh, under the age of like 50, for example, um, maybe even 60 more common that I'm meeting people like late fifties or sixties who are starting to get serious about wanting to retire. Um, it's not often that a younger working professional family, you know, someone with a young family, for example, would seek out a financial advisor. Um, and we could, you know, talk about all the reasons why, but um, I would meet a lot of people later in life and I would, you know, just kind of, like wish that I met them sooner if I had given them a few little nuggets, like, you know, 20 years earlier, um, I, I, I think they would have been much better off. And, and <clears throat> so I had a 
friend who's a teacher at the high school and in the business department. And we just started talking about, about doing this and this was years ago. And um, so I've done it now for a while. And um, again, it's just the idea is to give these young, uh, we do it for the, the seniors. We've structured it a little differently over the years, but we do it for seniors right now, the whole senior class. Um, and the idea is to give them some perspective on a few things. Number one, how expensive life is mm. and um, how it's it's not always easy to afford the life that you envision for yourself or maybe even the life that they're living now that their parents are providing for them. It's not always easy to do that. And um, and that's the importance of paying attention to your money and maybe tracking a little budget and, you know, paying attention to what goes out the door compared to what comes in the door and, uh, you know, the importance of uh, not carrying much debt and how much of a burden debt can be. Um, and, and, you know, the importance of trying to avoid that and the importance of saving over long periods of time, instead of waiting until you're 40 or 50 to start saving for, for a goal like retirement, which is a, um, a very large and can be daunting financial goal. The amount of money that people in this area of the world, you know, up, you know, middle-class or upper middle-class people, the amount of money that they need to really, you know, supplement social security income and to really live a comfortable retirement on is, is, is sizable. And, and saving that over 10 years is not easy. And it's much easier to save for a, a goal like retirement over like 40 years. Um, and so the, the point of that fair is to really, you know, we throw a lot of information at them, but I try to highlight, like, if, if you remember anything, you know, please remember, spend less than you make, start saving in a 401k or something similar as early as possible and, and keep doing it. And here are some targets and, and minimize debt. And, and, you know, we sort of go into detail about all that and some other things, but yeah, the idea is to just give them those little nuggets so that, you know, maybe if I meet them 30 years from now or they meet my successor, whoever that may be, then, um, then and they're better off for it. And it's, so it's really rewarding. It's, it, it's a incredibly long day. It's a ton of work to get ready for it. I have a lot of people that help me, but it's a very long day. I always have to take like four Advil when I get home because it's just <laughs> a lot of, you know, chaos and, and talking and, I, when I present, I get really animated and into it. You know, you can see me on the zoom. I'm always yeah. like, you know, flailing and I get really excited, but, um, but it's a really, it's, it's fun. And and I think um, most of them seem to appreciate it. And I meet a lot of parents out in the community. They're kind of like, Hey, that was great. Thanks for that. And yeah, and that feels, you know, it feels good to just do a little something like that. And even if half of them, you know, are a little bit better off for it, that's, that's great. Yeah, I mean, if you if you convince one person not to spend more than they earn, I think you've yeah. done an enormous ser a service to the community. Period. Right? Because yeah. that has ripple effects. Yeah, I hope so. It feels good to do it. I haven't like you know I haven't done it long enough to meet them when yeah you know, when they're later in life. That will be cool one day. I hope when I'm you know probably twenty years from now, right? When I'm you know maybe starting to slow down or whatever might be fun to meet some of those people I that would bet. be very cool I think. it's it's, yeah. it's it's a remarkable challenge given the adolescent brain which is not designed and not fully mature enough to really think about the future so it's it's a great tool that you're giving them to really start yeah. thinking how how what's the reception been like from the kids um most of them are very appreciative of it we do um 
they go through the day and they fill out a budget worksheet and they make some decisions and they do some calculations and they, you know, you know, mock save in their 401k and all that stuff. And then we have them sit down and do interviews at the end of the day. And the interview is like a minute or two minutes long. It's very short, um, but they have to sit down with an adult, a volunteer, and they have to answer some questions and sort of present what they learned. And the questions are very simple. You know, what did you learn? What, you know, what's, is what surprised you? Was this difficult? Was it easy? You know, um, st stuff like that, very sort of simple questions, but it, it gets them talking and um, so I don't get to talk to all of them, you know, there's 300 kids that come through the fair every year or so, but, um, most of them are, first of all, appreciative. A lot of them, you know, thank us for doing it. I think that they, a lot of them seem to value that knowledge because you have to remember that these are, we do it in the spring. We're doing it in March this year. We generally do it in the spring of their senior year. Um, so they're about to like, you know, a lot of them are going off to college, but they're sort of embarking on their adulthood. And I think think they you know appreciate knowing a few things about that um and then but I think and I think a lot of them are also just I think they're surprised at how expensive life is and how much money you need to make to afford you know the things that they're used to now that their parents are providing for them you know vacations and clothes and cell phones and you know utility you know cable and stuff like that and and they you know, car insurance and you know things that they're just it's not a part of their world. And so a lot of them are surprised that life is pretty expensive. And actually, I think that's a really awesome uh, thing for them to learn and really good perspective for them to have. Um, and you've been you doing find... this since 2014, you say? Yeah. Or... Yep. I so... think this is mine. <clears throat> I think this will be, so 2023, I think will be my ninth. Yeah. I wonder whether you could collect some data, you know, ask the school to right. give you some, you know, yeah, places, you know, where, 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 where do these kids wind up and, and yeah. send out a bulk email through MHS um, graduate website or something. Yeah, really that would be interesting because some of them would be like almost 30, you know, 28 or something like that. And they might have a balance in their 401k now yeah. and they might, you know, yeah. what, how do they still have college debt, you know, or are they still right. paying it off? Cause one of the things we talk about is the burden that is debt. We sort of focus on college debt at that, <clears throat> because at that age, you know, if they're going to have debt, you know, at 20 or 25 years old, it's likely going to be college debt and it can just be so sizable, but you know, we focus on the burden that that is. And we talk about, you know, how long some people carry, debt like for example college debt you know some people carry that into their mid-30s and 40s and but yeah that would be interesting to do some sort of a survey yeah I never thought I hadn't thought about that yeah do you find that the parents aren't talking with the kids enough about it for the most part yeah I mean one one or two will um you know mention that their parents were involved but I think a lot of parents just well I think there's just a whole void of Right. Uh, information in this regard for kids, you know, at the high school and the college level, um, which is another, you know, one of the reasons I got into it, because it just doesn't seem like, you know, this is like real world education stuff. This is like stuff that everyone, in my opinion, at least should absolutely know, like basic budgeting, saving type stuff. That's like real applicable stuff for everybody. <laughs> um, and there just seems to be, I think it's getting a little better. I know Marshfield High is doing some stuff to build it into the curriculum, but yeah. 
Um, it's pretty limited. And I think that there's a lack of that information. I think that's a huge void in our educational system at the, at the collegiate level and at the high school level. Um, I, and I, I think, think a lot of parents just don't, a lot of parents just, they, they wouldn't even know, you know, where to begin. Um, so yeah, there's, I think a lot of kids just aren't getting the information anywhere else. And, and I think a lot of the parents may not know right? They may not right. have the information to even share and they may be right. struggling as well. Right. Um, I, I think there was a bill that was submitted to uh, Massachusetts to Beacon Hill that wow. they're going to make it a, a graduation requirement to have Good. basic financial literacy. Finally. Yeah. I know that Marshfield built it and I want to say it was a couple of years ago. They built um, it into their whatever class that the senior, I think it's government and economics that the seniors have to take. And I think they built like part of a semester um, in terms for personal finance. So they'll, some, a lot of the kids come in and they have like a little bit of an understanding about credit yeah. um, and a little bit of knowledge about like saving in 401k. Um, but yeah, it's pretty limited. They have to go through that, you know, part of the curriculum so quickly and um, sort of breeze through a lot of different things, which, you know, which is what we do at the fair as well. But you know, reinforcing some of the things that they learned in this in the class. I don't know but, if you guys have, yeah. have watched TV recently, but there's a a couple of car commercials. Have you seen those? I Can't don't watch which, TV. Which, which brand <laughs> it is? There you go. But it's basically um, teaching your kids to save money to to buy a car. Oh, good. And uh, um, you know, it's it's this this car company. They're selling their car, and this you know young person wants to get the car. Mm -hmm. um, or something and they do contributions around the house and the person has has an app you know the parent is is putting in you know debbie just earned 20 bucks for doing this and it's it's about teaching your kids how to do this maybe, oh, I like maybe, that. maybe it's not even for a car company maybe it's this app on how to oh how maybe to save money yeah do, do your thing maybe that's that, really that's awesome <laughs> one of the things we talk about at the fair is i i do like a whole introductory session on the difference between saving for a goal like saving for something and paying for it when you can afford it and like delayed gratification like you might have heard my commercial on atd we talk about like that's delayed gratification like i might have to save for years to like pay cash or pay a large amount of that car purchase, for example. And we talk about that and the difference between that and buying something now and taking on debt for it and the cost of the debt, like in the interest that you'll pay for that immediate gratification. So that's one of the things we we talk about. And I think it's important um, for people to know that as well. And we're, of course, in our society, we're used to immediate gratification that's the norm. The norm is I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to, fi you know, finance the whole thing or, you know, a large um, percentage of it or, and, and really anything. It's very common to, I'll buy it now, I'll pay for it later, right. which is more expensive than I'm. And when you do that, arguably you can't afford it. You don't have the money for that you, right. you have to borrow it. And it's very different. And it's not, not quite as common. I don't think for people to like, save, 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 and be diligent. And then when they have the cash for something, then they buy it. That's, that's, that's more rare. But um, often we're talking a little bit about this well-known test in psychology called the marshmallow test. Um, and what, what this is, is you show young kids, sometimes three, four, five years old, sometimes older, 
And you basically say, you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait one minute, two minutes, whatever it is, you can have two marshmallows or three marshmallows. And then you see what they do. Um, and scientists have, have studied these kids longitudinally, and they have found that the kids who can delay that gratification actually have better outcomes in terms of education, in terms of their, their business, in terms of their monetary stability, compared to the kids who just take the marshmallow. Mm. It's, yeah. it's a well-documented thing. So parents, you may want, if you've got young kids, just see what happens, you know, give them a choice and see it. It's not, it's not definitive, but if you have a kid who can't delay that gratification, you may want to be able to teach them how to wait a little bit. Patience is certainly a virtue in the world of investing and responsible financial behavior in terms of, you know, being patient enough to save for a goal that could be years down the road, you know, retirement being one of them, maybe helping your kids with their college expenses, maybe another, we were talking about car purchases, you know, before the break and something that people could, you know, save years for if they, um, and, and so having the patience for that is, is certainly something to be rewarded. And generally people are rewarded for that, but also in markets like this and down markets and, and stressful financial markets, patience is also a virtue because generally speaking, it's, you know, when your assets are down in value, having the patience and the faith to wait out the market, generally, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different, but for the most part, being patient enough to to not do anything and ride out the market is usually what's best for people. Um, and the people that are impatient and can't, you know, wait and, and they're for whatever reason, you know, if, if they're impatient enough to want to make a change right now and do something different, um, they're generally not rewarded for that. And so, you know, I can't comment on other aspects of life, but in the world of finance, patience is absolutely helpful in terms mm -hmm. of success. Because otherwise you're, you're impulsively sort of well, selling at a loss and then right. you have less money to reinvest. Is that right? basically the idea yeah it, when markets are down in value sometimes people well they panic for different reasons but sometimes people just want to um they want to do something different they you know human nature is like they want to um avoid further losses people in markets that trend down people think that they're going to continue trending down when really they could start a recovery at any time we may have already started the recovery of this market right. remain, remains to be seen um, but they want to, you know, I'm, they're speculating. They, they think it's just going to keep going down. So they want to make a change and protect from further losses. Um, and, and some people that don't have the patience to wait out the market generally make mistakes with their money. And sorry, if you hear my dog barking, <laughs> it, it's funny. Uh, so, um, yeah, some people just can't, they're not patient enough to see what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they went, went into it thinking they were a long-term investor and, and really are unable to um, have the patience to be that long-term investor. So have you been seeing that in, in your clients? 
Um, like I, you know, we touched on earlier, most of my clients are pretty well trained from the get go. And, and also a lot of my clients I've worked with for a long time. My 20 year anniversary is coming up in this business. Wow. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. So, um, you know, the clients I've had for a long time, we've been through ups and downs, the newer clients that I have, I, like I said, I do some education and some training up front so that they, when this happens, they've at least some sort of perspective, um, so I don't get a lot of panicked phone calls. Like I said, I, you know, got one from a newer client where I, where I didn't have that educational session and, um, and every once in a while for like a different reason, if something in their life is different or, you know, mm -hmm. that's causing stress for like another reason other than just the markets. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of conversations with clients in markets like this. I'm here, you know, sometimes they call and they just want to talk. They just want me to reassure them. You know, they just want to hear my voice and they want to know that my 401k is still invested and all that stuff. And um, usually they know what I'm going to say, which is generally speaking, you don't want to do a whole lot at times like this. I mean, we do make some portfolio changes if we see appropriate um, to take advantage of, you know, things being down in value and shares being cheap, but, but, you know, broad sweeping portfolio changes and selling and going to cash or gold or, or I was going to say bonds, but even in this market, <laughs> nobody's feeling super comfortable with bonds at the moment, but. Um, so, so what is the difference then between a stock and a bond? Just real quick. Um, a stock investment is, uh, there's an ownership component like publicly traded securities, um, publicly traded companies will issue shares of stock and you technically have some ownership of the corporation and you participate in profit share in the world of publicly traded securities, that's in the form of a dividend. Um, so there's great upside with stock investments because company, you know, companies can really be profitable to an unlimited degree, right? There's really no cap on profitability of corporations other than like when companies get so big and there's antitrust issues and stuff like that, but there's really no limit to profitability. So this is great upside with stock investments. But when you own something, company, or you own part of a company, um, sometimes companies go out of business. Sometimes they go bankrupt. And if you own part of a company that's not worth anything, then your your share of that company is not worth anything. So there's there's downside risk as well. Um, but stocks in a portfolio are that's like I call them like the growth component over the long periods of time. Stock investments have that's where people have had the growth and the earnings. You know, if you hear about portfolios earning seven, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen percent per year, that's largely stocks. You know. Uh, that's largely stocks generating that growth. Um, bond investments are um, when you when you're lending your money. So municipalities, for example, will issue bonds and you lend your money to the municipality and they say, I'm gonna pay you back later. I'll give you your capital back and I'll pay you some interest as a thank you for letting me borrow your money to build these bridges and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> so there's no there's not the same upside because there's no you're not, there's no profit share or anything like that, but there's a stability component to bond investments because there's that stated rate of interest. They're promising to pay you this interest and then you're going to get your capital back. So bonds are your more stable investment. This is the worst year, 2022, worst year ever for bond investments in terms of their downward fluctuation, worst year on record. But moving forward, you know, there's actually a great outlook for bonds. Now we have interest rates in the world, et cetera, yield, et cetera. So, so people that own bonds shouldn't be all worried too worried um they, they fluctuate in value too but bonds are like if you think about a portfolio that has stocks and bonds in it stocks are like the growth component they're the scarier component where they fluctuate down generally speaking quite a bit 
and bonds are like the stability component. So the more bonds you have in a portfolio, generally speaking, the more stable it is and the less it will fluctuate downward in bad markets. And a slower growth. And sl yeah, slower growth. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So how, how do people get in touch with you, Lisa, if they want to? Um, so they can check out my website, McNamaraFinancial.com, or they can call the office, 781-834-2010. Great. And you have a, a radio show as well. We do. McNamara on Money, Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. And also we do rebroadcast, though, on Sunday morning, 730. Yeah. Uh, if you miss the show from generally the week prior, we broadcast Sunday mornings at 730. I have listened to them and they are incredibly informative. So thank you very thank much you. for that. Thank you. Um, you know, we're coming to the end of the show, but we talk about the I am approach, the idea that, that we're all doing the best we can, but we're influenced by these four domains, your home domain, the social domain. We've been talking a lot about those, the biological domain of your brain and body. And we're talking in part about that, about how our financial stuff can affect our biological domain. And then the IC, how do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because these four domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So listen, what small change can you recommend to our listeners given our topic tonight? So the simplest, smallest thing that they can do to benefit their self, themselves financially is literally just to pay attention to their money and and by that, I don't mean pay attention to the value of your 401k or your investment every day. I mean, pay attention to your your cash flow, which is your income versus your expenses. And not enough people pay attention to where their money goes like every month. And, it, you know, I could ask 100 people, how much do you spend every month? And two people could answer that question. Hmm. People don't pay enough attention to what goes out the door. And sometimes they don't even really know if it's more or less than what comes in the door, other than if we start getting into, okay, well, like, is your savings bad? You know, I'd have to dig into it a little bit. So just paying attention, how much comes in the door and on average, you know, I know it's different every month, but on average, what goes out the door? And by the way, where is it going? Because some people like, you just lose track of stuff over time, right? Expenses just build over time and then you lose track and you're spending on stuff you don't even remember you're spending it on. So just paying attention, I don't, I'm not even implying you need to stick to a strict budget. I, I just mean, start paying attention because you'll, you'll inevitably build better habits and people will just be more responsible. They'll start questioning where the money goes and why am I spending that there? And it will just like naturally build better habits. And, and, uh, it's sort of, it's also sort of liberating when you have that, um, when people have that knowledge and they feel like they're more in control of their finances, it's very liberating. Mm. Um, and it's not easy because again, there's generally a lot of line items for people, but um, it's easier said than done. I understand, but Great. at least starting to pay attention, pay attention. Cash yeah. flow is incredibly powerful, yeah. especially early in life mm. and building those habits early in life. Well, cause it will help with savings. Terrific. Pay attention. So, we can certainly recommend that. The second truth of the I am is because everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain, because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected mm. and you're a part of someone's home or social domain. This means you control no one, but you influence everyone. 
you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Alyssa McNamara-Reed, what kind of influence do you want to be? Um, I don't know if this is, uh, I'm questioning whether this is the right answer. Well, I know there's no right answer, but my gut reaction is that I want to be an honest influence. And I, and I, again, I'm not sure I'm answering the question totally, but what I mean by that is when I give people advice, when I give them my perspective on their situation and their money, um, their financial situation, I mean, I, I think there's no benefit to sugarcoating anything. I'm very honest with people. And sometimes I have bad news to share and I've worked my career with, you know, how to tactfully share that bad news. But I, and I don't always have to deliver bad news, thankfully. Um, but I think honesty from a professional, especially in my uh, financial professional is incredibly important. Um, in terms of, you know, recommendations that I make in portfolios and stuff, but also about their situation and, and whether I think they need to make changes or not, or whether I think they're going to be able to achieve their goals or not. So I don't know if that's totally like, is an honest influence? Uh, is that, is that, did I answer the question? I'm not sure I did, but I like that's it. where my I mind was going when you were asking me that. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay. You know, we, we influence everyone and you certainly yeah. are involved in, arguably one of the most important and sensitive topics in a person's life is right what's their financial security or insecurity right so yeah so i very much appreciate your time and, and chatting about this and i don't know i i feel a little wealthier already so <laughs> appreciate yeah, it thank you for your perspective you're welcome. Yeah. you're welcome thank you gentlemen for having me enjoyed it it's been great all right folks mark We'll see you next week. Alyssa, thanks we so much. We will. Thank you. Night, everyone. Care, so we'll holiday. see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.